0: Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to this episode. It's been a few weeks since I've released a new interview. I needed to take a few weeks off to avoid burnout. I have to do this occasionally. I've learned that every once in a while I need to just take an extended break from doing this work in order to be able to bring myself fully into the project. I just thank everybody for your support, for reaching out to me, and, and being so kind and loving towards me. I have really have some of the best listeners in the world. Uh, But in this episode, I speak with Jeff Gibbs. Jeff is the director of the very popular and controversial documentary film, Planet of the Humans, and that film was executive produced by Michael Moore. Now Jeff and Michael have worked together on several other film projects that were directed by Michael, with Jeff being the executive producer of those films. And in this film, they sort of switch roles. Now, this film was released a little over a week ago at this point, I guess maybe two weeks ago at this point, on Earth Day, and it was released on YouTube for people to view for free. The film has well over 5 million views, it might even be up to 6 million by the time this episode is released. A good part of that is the fact that, one, you do have Michael Moore's name attached to it, that does help, but also the fact that this film has generated enormous controversy where you have... People within the environmental movement, the climate movement, uh, being very divided about what this film is trying to do, which is critique the sustainable and green or whatever label you want to put on it, technologies that are being put at the forefront of environmental activism over the past few decades. I think we've come to the point with environmental activism where It's sort of assumed by many folks within the mainstream environmental movement, not everybody, but within some of the most prominent players within the environmental movement, that solar, wind, and biomass, or biofuels, will be able to replace fossil fuel consumption in our industrial economy. That we will get to a point here in the near future where we can decarbonize the economy through using these technologies. Now, what Jeff does in this film is he lays out some pretty severe criticisms of that direction that the environmental movement has gone in regarding its reliance on these technologies as a way of saving us, you could say, as a way of dealing with the biggest crisis that humanity has ever faced, which is not just the climate crisis, but the environmental and ecological crisis at large. And in critiquing solar and wind and biomass in this film, Jeff is showing what is required to produce these technologies, and the fact that a lot of the information that we've been fed about our ability to transfer over completely to renewable technologies, renewable energy systems in the past few decades and into the future is not completely true. There's a lot of things that are missing in that formulation, there's a lot of things that are missing in that message, and he explains why. You know, in the film, I think. He does a great job of exploring not only the issues with those technologies, but the processes that have led us to the moment that we are, where we think we have been told that these things are going to somehow save us from the worst impacts of environmental destruction and climate change. Since this film was released, I've seen, I don't know, a dozen or more, maybe even two dozen uh, reviews, uh, criticisms that have come out from very prominent individuals within the environmental and climate movements. Uh, one of the most prominent and one of the harshest criticisms that this film has received was from Josh Fox, who is the director of Gasland 1 and 2. He is a an activist within these circles. He wrote an article for The Nation in which, uh, in the subtitle of that article, he says, that the film is wildly unscientific, outdated, full of falsehoods, and benefits fossil fuel industry promoters and climate deniers. And he has also asked that Michael Moore and Jeff Gibbs disavow the film, basically saying that this is a form of journalistic malpractice. I think is some something like that. I, I, I heard him in an interview say something along those lines. So I was able to get a hold of Jeff. You know, after taking all these weeks off from doing the podcast, I... I watched this film several times. Uh, I developed my own thoughts and opinions on it. I read, of course, the different opinions and, and critiques that people have raised uh, since the film was released. And, you know, I haven't seen a film like this generate such an enormous backlash and, and level of controversy in a really long time. And I think it's for good reason. I mean, I think the film really does challenge many of the assumptions that people have developed over the decades about what renewable technologies are and how they're made and what they're able to do. And that's the underlying controversy here in the film. Um, As Josh Fox and others have stated, there are some factual errors in the film, which does a disservice to the climate and environmental movement at large. There's also a claim that's made by Josh Fox and many others, which is that the film is advocating for population control, that it's bordering on anti-human sentiment, and that the film is just highly irresponsible in how it chooses to present this information. If you actually watch the damn film, and you actually see what's being said in the film, now, we can have our critiques of it. I mean, I I have some critiques. I, I think there might be some issues in the film when it comes to the data. That's beside the point, really. Because what people are really triggered by is the fact that you have prominent environmentalists and big names like Jeff Gibbs and Michael Moore coming out and saying that these technologies are not going to save us, and in fact are environmentally destructive in how they're produced and manufactured at large, and that there's no techno fixes that are going to come to save us from environmental and ecological collapse. That's not, this isn't a, a go to solution. They're not saying that there aren't maybe useful applications for these technologies. They're just saying that it's really false and dangerous to assume or to promote the idea that we can somehow maintain industrial civilization through these technologies. We're not asking the right questions. We're not asking the right questions about how to adequately respond to this existential crisis, this massive ecological crisis that we are in the midst of, in which climate change is only one facet of. So when we talk about decarbonizing the economy, that's fine, but what does it actually take to produce the the minerals and the, the various resources that are required to produce the technologies that are going to supposedly decarbonize the economy? those technologies have ecologically destructive components to them that's at the base of how they're produced it requires enormous amounts of resource extraction that's that's a, a fundamentally one of the major uh, points of the film is to show that you know we don't see often what is required to produce these technologies as a collective as a as a species we are up against a wall in fact i would argue we're already off the fucking cliff you know, to use another analogy or metaphor, we're already off the fucking cliff. So the kind of questions that we need to be asking aren't, you know, how do we reduce carbon emissions? That's 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 important. But how do we stop engaging in wholly destructive uh, behaviors in this time that we're in? You know, how do we actually engage in behaviors that is not going to continue to prop up a wholly destructive socioeconomic paradigm, which has produced the problems that we are trying to fix? One of the questions that's brought up in the film is, like, can the tools of industrial civilization fix the problems that are produced by industrial civilization? So the technologies that are being generated, are they actually going to address the issue adequately? And that's what Jeff and Michael Moore are contending in this film, and the many other people that are interviewed in this film are contending, which is that, no, uh, unfortunately, no, that's not the case. And there are good reasons for that. The film gets into the reasons why... We have been sold this very elaborate story about what we can do and what we should do in the face of this crisis. So, I was really pleased to be able to get a hold of Jeff because I really wanted him to dive deeper into what he was really working with and what he was intending to do with this film, and also to respond to some of the major criticisms, particularly from Josh Fox, who I think is one of the loudest critics of the film. In order to give him a chance to kind of explain, you know, where he's getting his data from, and just to adequately respond the best that he could to some of these criticisms, and I will make one last note about this interview. I just want to say it's a little technical issue. So, in the last five minutes of this interview, you're going to hear on Jeff's end of the uh, audio there's going to be this really insufferable crackling noise that's going to come in. Now, fortunately, it was at the very end of the interview; it wasn't at you know the beginning or in the middle of the interview. It was at the very end. And we tried to address it. I edited out the parts where we were trying to talk about fixing it. We couldn't get it to to work. So basically, we just decided, you know what, people can still hear what you're saying. Just continue. We'll just continue the interview and wrap it up. So I apologize. I tried my best to kind of smooth it out and make it less insufferable to listen to. But just know that it's only in the very last five minutes of the interview. So that's kind of one of the things that have to deal with occasionally when you record interviews over the internet uh there are these little technical issues that pop up every once in a while so i apologize for that but overall the interview is excellent uh this discussion with jeff is really great uh jeff has also sent me some resources so what he asks in the very end especially of this interview is that you know people who watch the film you can watch it for free you don't really have an excuse to not watch it it is free watch the film read the reviews read the criticisms from the various people that have come out in the past few weeks read that develop your own thoughts and opinions on this film and what it's pointing towards because i think again there's so much nonsense that's coming out about this film that it actually kind of obscures the major underlying point of the film which is really important to get at and that's what we talk about in this interview Go to the website planetofthehumans.com, you'll find the film there, a link will be there, it's embedded on the website, you'll also find other resources there, and I'll provide other links in the description to, for instance, the article that Josh Fox uh, critiques the film, and I actually cite in the interview, Um, and I'll be presenting some other information that Jeff has sent my way uh, after we recorded this interview, he sent me some resources, so... Uh, I'll be putting those links in the description of this episode, so please check those out. If you want to learn more about this podcast, go to lastbornthewilderness.com You'll find the episode there. You'll find everything else you need to know about this work. And if you really want to support this work, consider doing it through Patreon. Again, a link to that's on the website. So to those that are supporters of this project, I just have to really thank you very much for sticking with me. But anyway, without any further delay, here is my interview with Jeff Gibbs. I was a little surprised I was able to get a hold of you, you know, uh, what with all of the excitement, as you said, all of the things that are swirling around what you've produced. Um, I, I was like, well, I'm going to give it a shot, see if, see if he responds. And so, so I just have to thank you. I really
1: appreciate you oh, taking time. Oh, thank you. Well, I, this is a, just glancing at your website and I'd like to just, you know, you tell me if I'm, in your own words, what the, you know, the centerpiece of it, I don't want to say mission, <laughs> That sounds corporate. But, <laughs> um, but I just, you know, it's uh, the chance to talk about the deeper things behind this, perhaps, you know. Um, yeah. It, you know, because I didn't make a film about energy. I made a film about the uh, the humans t- told through the story of our illusions, you know. So, But uh, not that many people noticed that so far.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I will say, I mean, I will bring up. I didn't want to make it the f- the focal point at all of the interview to talk about the criticisms and your responses to them. I will bring up a few of them just to address it probably later okay. on in the interview. Uh, but yeah, really, this the point of this is really just to allow you to express what you just said because I, I watched the film again last night and uh, I actually appreciated it more the second time watching it. Um, And, you know, I have been reading all the the whole wide swath of responses that i've uh that have come out uh both good and bad uh that the film has generated, and I feel like yeah there's something that all of these inter- all these people that are responding i mean even though even the positive uh responses are missing i think the underlying point of the film yeah um yeah. you know and and I think that 's unfortunate but it 's not that surprising either um So you're
1: recording or you can press record. I mean, it's fine to capture this part of it too. I think it's, uh, yeah, we'll just,
0: yeah, we'll just keep it. We'll just keep it going. Um, Well, first, I mean, Jeff, I, I, again, I am very thankful that we had the chance to do this. As I said earlier on, you know, I didn't know if I could get a hold of you, but here we are. Uh, And again, it's just, I'm very appreciative of your work. I'm appreciative of the film that you put together uh, with, with all the people involved in that. Um, and I just, I just really want to ask you, like, <clears throat> excuse me, like, how are you doing? And there's, there's two levels to this question. The first level is like, you just released a very popular and controversial film, so there's a lot of attention that's being put on you and Michael Moore and everyone else involved in this film, uh, both good and bad. But, you know, we are, we are also in the midst of a global pandemic. <laughs> right. And, you know, everybody's trying to live accordingly uh, within that context. So, I'll just ask, you know, how are you doing?
1: Well, it's kind of new territory for me. Um, and, of course, there's anxiety and, uh, you know, I don't like, um, I don't enjoy, you know, conflict. It's not my intent. On, and uh, But, on the other hand, um, I feel a tremendous sense of relief because um thousands you know millions of people are um having a chance to think about the things that are in the film and and uh really there are things i've spent my a lifetime um you know thinking about and uh, uh worrying about and um being excited about and so to kind of break through and have this discussion um as painful as it is um for many people, I think is a very, very good thing. So it gives me a sense of lightness and uh, uh, whatever hope we might derive from the situation at hand. Um, and I learned, you know, sometimes you have to tell the t- tell the story that's there to tell, and not worry about where the, uh, the what the consequences are. And um, you know, and uh, in the midst of this, I developed some ideas about storytelling itself. Like, um, you know, um, storytelling. People want to make movies or they want to write novels and they they want to make change but um you you know it's a very dangerous profession very dangerous and it's dangerous to yourself um i mean that in the way that um um you know most revolutionaries don't even know whether they succeed or fail uh they don't make it to the end of the revolution right and we've been convinced since you know my generation up through the present climate movement that Somehow the revolution is like a little bit of a party. You know, you go to the protest, you get arrested. There's a party that night. You get out of jail. Um, you know, you've um, everything's got to be positive. You know, you got to have the positive solutions. People were telling me that for years. Um, so um, this is kind of like a get out of jail um, card for me because I've been feeling like um, these are. De- these thoughts and ideas and, and the, the main idea that we're in the wrong story and that we've been in the wrong story and it's been getting worse. And that story is one that's been merged and kind of been captured by um capitalism and, and uh industrialism and uh, bankers. So uh it's a sense of relief and uh excitement and you know, a bit of anxiety. It's like uh how's this all gonna shake out? And um it's a little the thing that's most stressful is if you read the comments on YouTube thousands of comments um they're nine out of ten are really supportive yeah yeah more than that and it's the I don't know what the right word is, but the the environmental movement as we know it, is a very, very large movement and has very very many people involved and has very many media outlets that are aligned with the current story of climate change plus renewables equals we're saved. So if you challenge that, um, you know, you're challenging a very big uh, group of people and in a sense, a a machine that has a life of its own. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, I guess there's two questions here, which is the first one is how long have you been working on this film? And then the second part to that question is, did you, in making this film, were you at all anticipating the reactions that you've gotten uh, to the release of this film?
1: Um, in some ways, I've been working on it my whole life. And then by another measure, I've been working on it since uh, the early 2000s. I, I made a commitment to um, spend full time, or as much time as I was able, um, right around Hurricane Katrina. Um, I thought, man, what?" I thought to myself... Some days are, there's going to be a disaster like Katrina that we're not going to be able to go to recover from, and we keep having these wake up calls that we just we patch things up and we go on. Um, so for the uh, you know the rest of that decade, um, I was thinking maybe if I made a film about how bad things were, that could wake people up. <laughs> maybe maybe it would even wake me up. <laughs> uh, but slowly I realized that wasn't in the way that, that somehow in the back of our minds We're aware of how bad things are I think we shut out uh, The depth of that and the details of that To go on with our lives um, But I began to realize that this other story That green energy would save us um, Was perhaps in the way of really Coming to grips with the fact That we're not only headed towards the cliff But in the 50 years since Earth Day We're accelerating So um this more recent, you know, the, the planet of the humans that exists now, um, you know, I have been working on this for over 10 years. Yeah. And so it's, it occur, occurs over time. Some people might criticize that. I think that's one of its strengths is that uh, we've been able to s- see the same stories, actually the same stories of it's getting cheaper, it's going to be easier, it's going to be better, have been in existence since the 70s. Uh, they keep re- almost recycling the same um, techno-optimistic belief. That there will just be the next miracle thing is arriving, it's here. Well, oh, that didn't quite work out, so it's it's the next one, it's the next round, you know, um, that's going to save us. And then, eventually, you challenge the very idea that technology is going to save us at all.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, were you, I guess you, I, I imagine that when you were producing this film, when you were directing this film, that, uh, that you were going to come up against, I mean, the biggest thing that you seem to criticize, aside from... Uh, so-called renewable sustainable energy green energy is the uh the fact that environmental groups and environmentalists some of the most prominent environmental activists are basically in bed with capitalists and with and the profit motive essentially and so that to me was like the major point of the film is that when you finally get to the end of the documentary you and everyone that you interview in the film is basically pointing to the fact like look we can't have we cannot have the adequate response to this global crisis by basically rearranging the, I you know, it's this kind of silly metaphor, but, or analogy, but rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, which is what it seems to me is what I think what renewable energy is doing, is it's, it's not different enough. It's not challenging enough the underlying motive and the underlying uh, structure of the system that produced the problem to begin with.
1: Right, it's the um, you know that we do, we're doing this grand experiment. We've been doing it for a while of boiling everything down to climate change, and climate change is you know of, of course I'm it's a great concern. I've been concerned about it much of my life. Um, the climate emergency, as it was emerging over the last couple of decades, has helped propel me into the story. But I began to see that. That particular part of the story, only focusing on climate change, lends itself to the solution of green technology, which happens to be a profit center, and living more simply, taking the resources from our uh, vast overconsumption in place, in, you know, in the United States. And I'm generalizing because many people here are struggling too. But sure. taking the places of vast consumption and sharing that, uh, so increasing the the well-being of other peoples. Well, we decrease the overall growth. Uh, you know, people who have chosen to um, uh, live simply their entire lives, or have fewer children, um, or you know, to not buy the next iPhone or not buy the next new vehicle. Those are not environmental heroes. It's people who, you know, buy the Tesla and put up the solar panels. And uh, you know, uh, Elon Musk is an environmental hero. I mean, somebody who's who creates giant factories uh, to create machines to fly. To, to So, yeah, I think it is a merger of capitalism, industrialism, the bankers. And I do believe that uh, our environmental leaders um, have had good intentions. And uh, the people objecting to this film, I, I have to believe they all had have, have had good intentions. It's just sometimes when you get um, – you make a choice to do an experiment like this with getting into bed with capitalism and uh, it just, you lose control. Right.
0: Well, when do you think that that shift really happened? I mean, you mentioned in an interview, I know that you, uh, you did the, uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, he was featured in the film um, as well. He's one of the producers of the film as along with Michael. Uh, you, Ozzie. Ozzie. That's right. Thank you. Uh, you three were on the Hill. Uh, rising, I believe is the name of mm-hmm. the program. Um, and, and in that interview, you know, you, you, you kind of jokingly, I think it was you or Michael jokingly say that you both participated in the first earth day, uh, you know, which kind of dated both of you. I thought that was funny. Um, yeah. But, but my question, I guess, is like when you you've been, a, as you discuss in the film, as you show in the film that you have been a lifelong environmentalist, when do you think that that shift really happened? Uh, where, because I think one of the major criticisms that I see uh, of green energy and and this sort of shift towards so-called renewable energy sources um, is is that the focus isn't as much about protecting the natural world or trying to regenerate the natural world any longer. Um, it's trying to prop up this new energy system. You know, it's like the shift where it went from protect the trees to you know, let's build more wind turbines and solar panels. Um, When do you think that shift happened? And how did that happen?
1: I think it happened in a couple ways. Um, First, you know, as the Earth Day generation, um, as we came into our 30s and 40s, and, um, you know, there were were choices that we were faced with personally that we um, just slowly kind of moved away from our original values, those of us who... Uh, I wasn't part of Earth Day directly. My teacher, my biology teacher, brought it up, and uh, class. And I was, you know, living on the kind of the rough side of Flint, and I was like, "Oh my God!" An adult brought up something <laughs> like this, and you know, it was a class, uh, you know, uh, area of study. And but um, you know, and that's why I moved to the woods and tried to live more simply, and and, and learn how to grow food, and um, was to try and figure out a better way to live, but slowly you get a job and you get, you know, kind of pulled into the system and you move, drift away. And then I think towards the 90s, um, there became a shift where uh, the foundations and the people funding the environmental movement it moved away from um, kind of grassroots and got more involved with foundation funding and corporate funding. And then under Clinton Gore, uh, I remember watching um, C-SPAN and, and watching some old footage of um, – you know, there are meetings that they had and suddenly they brought in the captains of industry, you know, the head of Walmart and, uh, large corporations Richard Branson was brought in. So, um, I need to, to learn more about that, but definitely clearly a decision was made around that time to, um, uh, you know, bring to, 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 attempt to bring the profit motive and corporations into this. And, that's all fine. They could all do better and should do better, and there are many things they should be involved with. And, and uh, But um, to, to kind of get that kind of seat at the table and uh, to take the lead in the funding through all these corporate foundations. Uh, you know, Many of these foundations, if you look who's on the board, it's, it's the titans of industry. It's people with a vested interest in the profit motive. It's not people who want to end capitalism and end our addiction to growth. Um, and then you see the same infiltration through the UN the UN puts out some amazing reports but they're all filled with this language about sustainable development I know what they mean we should be taking we have to take care of people that are not being taken care of you know when I say end growth this doesn't mean the people that are suffering the most in fact providing them more resources would actually help the environment because they wouldn't they'd be less likely to um, you know uh, have to eat bush meat or or Right. You know, there's, there's a lot of poaching and deforestation going on where people can't meet their basic needs. Um, but it's just like, certainly we can do better, To be, but to begin to say, we're, you know, I just was looking at a UN report this morning, you know, uh, that, that, said, that identified this, phenoc- this doubling of human population that's been accelerated by a four times increase in our economy since 1970 and a 10 times increase in international trade. Uh, somehow it's implying that we are just going to have a sustainable version of all this. Um, and it just, it's like, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I can see, I, I think people are afraid to just say, yes, we can have a more sustainable version. We can we can do better by so many people in so many places and so many uh, processes, mining, manufacturing, agriculture, but the whole human enterprise that's trying to produce this level of consumption is uh, would it even matter if we were powering our mines and our fishing trawlers and our bulldozers and our chainsaws with solar energy?
0: Yeah. It seems like there's a disconnect there where it's like the same, essentially the same process is unfolding. It's just maybe they've shifted it a bit. So instead of, you know, heavy resource extraction of fossil fuels specifically, you know, there's a lot of resource extraction that's happening through other means in order to produce these technologies. Um, and that's...
1: And I've, let me interrupt you for a second. And all those processes still require fossil fuels. That's the the kicker. And if you try and eliminate the carbon or the fossil fuels from the process, you wind up increasing the energy input that you need, or you wind up using other more rare uh, and, and toxic materials. So there are these trade-offs whenever you try to get a, a technological benefit that are not talked about. Um, so, you know, concrete is you know one of the top uh, emitters of um, uh, greenhouse gases on the planet. Uh, steel, uh, aluminum smelters use vast amounts of carbon and energy. Um, and can you d- do better? Okay, let's say you can do better, but it still doesn't get away from it's going to take all this mining energy um to um you know and the story of humans is whenever we get an improvement um i learned this myself the hard way um so i had a honda civic in the uh 80s it got 40 miles per gallon and great great for the environment right right yeah no different i mean it was a smaller <laughs> car was good you know why it was no different because a little voice in my head said, Oh look, that needle didn't even move. And I drove all the way across the state. <laughs> <laughs> Whoopee. I can do it more. Yeah. So lacking an off switch, you know, we humans use up and you can see what's happening with cars. They've gotten way more efficient. So we've just gotten bigger vehicles. Um, and, and we have began driving more miles. Um, you know, there's one report by, um, Bill Reese, uh, a scientist who studies these things, that, you know, he says, again, even if you believe solar and wind displace fossil fuels, and, and I don't think uh, that's true, um, that even if that's, that is true, they're not even able to keep up with annual growth of energy consumption.
0: Yeah, it, uh, it seems to me that, like you said with your Honda Civic, that if if we have more solar panels and these, again, these so-called green technologies, um, we start to produce them at a mass scale, it wouldn't displace the amount of energy that's produced by fossil fuels. It would seem to me, what I can kind of understand is that the more efficient these technologies become, we'll actually be able to generate more energy and it'll actually just be added on top of the energy that's already being used and produced with fossil fuels. So it'll just supplement and add to the amount of energy that needs to be consumed to maintain this level of growth
1: Um, that sounds about right you know there's a good example of that uh, patrick which is when nuclear power came into being um we didn't just suddenly say oh we don't need to burn coal anymore uh, or oil and because oil was being burned to power plants we don't need to shut down hydroelectric Uh, you know we didn't shut down any of those things we just piled the nuclear on top of what we were already using mm-hmm.
0: yeah and i want to make one point here which came up what I was thinking about which i just read a an article which was uh saying that since this pandemic really hit so obviously it 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 uh, emerged in china late last year early this year uh, of course, they saw seg- sectors of their economy shut down for several months. They're starting to restart that. We're seeing that here in the United States. We're seeing it in many other parts of the world, in Europe, in South America, wherever it's hit. Uh, they've implemented you know, lockdowns, as shelter-in-place orders all around the world. And uh, of course, people aren't traveling as much as they used to. People aren't flying. People aren't driving their cars. People aren't going to work. So overall, energy consumption by people like us has gone down dramatically. But they've only seen, I think, somewhere a little a little bit around 5% decrease in carbon emissions since these lockdowns began. So people are understandably a bit surprised because they're like, well, where, is it, where are all these carbon emissions coming from if it's not from us, if it's not from consumers? And I think that just reveals something about the deeper nature of the system itself is that actually we're... We can we can reduce our consumption. We can do all these things that these green environmental uh, initiatives are asking of us, which is, you know, more efficient light bulbs or buy an electric car or do any of these things, travel less, use less plastic. And it still doesn't even touch the level of change that's required in order to stop not only heating up the planet with, through uh, greenhouse gases and climate change, but just environmental destruction at large.
1: Uh yeah. Right. I think if I hear you correctly it's um uh, you know you're saying you're su- you're surprised that that the um given the level of how much our economy stopped it seems like there would be more of a reduction. Yeah, I guess um, maybe
0: I shouldn't say I'm surprised but I guess maybe maybe I, I maybe I should be honest. I was a little surprised. I was like expecting a little bit more than 5%, but in a way it almost validated a deeper understanding I have of of what the system actually is. But I think it's surprising to a lot of people, I would say.
1: Yeah, I think it's, well, the first level of surprise though, um, because there, um, some of our, uh, now historic, you know, theatrical screenings, and hopefully we'll get back to that again someday. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, people said, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to, you know, we can, and I've heard for years, you know, you can't make a stop. Well, um, uh, mother earth made a stop within a week yeah. days. Yeah. And so even though it's under horrible circumstances, um, we learned that we, if we desire, we, we can stop, we can slow down and we can become immediately aware that in that process, we need to make sure people are taken care of, uh, the, that, that's, you know, and so, um, I think a collapse is coming. That's going to make this look like, uh, just a training exercise. Um, We know that's coming. And so thinking about instead of, oh, are we going to have enough solar panels, um, you know, not realizing without the industrial civilization going, you're not going to have solar panels. But how we treat each other during such a moment is critical. And how we get along with our neighbors and how we we, uh, can avoid getting into our um, tribal camps where we, uh, you know, hate each other or are angry at each other. Uh, I think these are the life and death issues um, before us. So this, aside from the darkness of the, the, what we went through, I it makes me very optimistic because um, you, we did slow down and things changed immediately. I mean, I think I heard it was a 6% drop, um, 5 or 6% in, in uh, carbon dioxide, but it's been a, the sky, even up here in northern Michigan, where we're away from the pollution, is way bluer, and I can smell the difference in the air every single day. And so I, I kind of take that the other way, just that we even stopped for a few weeks, that things changed so much, so quickly, is, is what's shocking to me. And, um, and the fact that the only other time our uh, fossil fuel use and emissions went down was during the Great Recession, and the other other time before that, the sky was blue. Very quickly it was in the days after 9-11. So um, there's been like a trillion dollars spent uh, since during and since the Obama era on renewable energy. And um, I could show you a chart that's not in the movie where you know we've just still on this continual mountain. You know, you remember the uh, L shaped uh, carbon dioxide yeah. um, chart in Al Gore's movie? Well, that same chart exists for almost everything you know very similar um, and unfortunately it exists for energy too and you see this rising mountain of, of fossil fuels and under beneath is, is a steady line of biomass that's being burned around the planet and then you can barely see the solar and wind on top of global energy use just the thinnest little slice that you can hardly see uh, and you know it's this mountain of of consumption of energy that's, that's, um, underlying all of this, you know, we, oh, like we're burning less coal here, but we're exporting coal around the world. Uh, China has plans to build, uh, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe it's hundreds more, uh, fossil fuel powered plants. Um, you know, the, um, Germany is building an import terminal for natural gas and they still mine a lot of coal. Um, so, I'm tired of the good news stories that are faking us out, making us pretend like, hooray, 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 we're running running the world world on sunshine and wind. Well, the world's already running on sunshine and wind. It's already, the sun is already powering this planet. It's called life on earth. The wind is already creating our weather. Um, We've had sustainable wind technologies for thousands of years. They're called sailing ships and, you know, low-tech wind turbines and, uh, you know, I have solar devices all around my house. They're called windows and the clothesline. It's when we try to build these huge industrial machines and conflate them with this actually truly renewable energy, wind and sun, uh, that we get into trouble because the machines are not renewable. They're industrial machines uh, that have nothing to do with renewability.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Right. Sorry. No, yep, you're good. There. No, you're good.
0: And I do... I... I, I do want to bring up, um, so one of the biggest, uh, I don't know what the right word is, I guess, uh, opponents or detractors of the film. One of the biggest critics of the film is Josh Fox, um, uh, who is a documentary filmmaker and activist. Um, and he had, uh, written an article that was published in The Nation. Um, and I just want to just point to it because I do want to clear up some things and I think it would be fair to do that and give you a chance to respond to it. Um, sure. So I'll just really quote this one part here uh, in his article, which is Planet of the Humans repeats a simple, contrarian, and nonsensical premise. Renewable energy doesn't work. I realize that sounds insane. Renewable energy, solar, and wind, the most important energy innovations of this or any century, and which represent the, and this is important, and which represents the only way civilization can possibly decarbonize is just a big fat sham. According to Planet of the Humans, renewables are actually worse than fossil fuels. So, is it true, what he says there, that renewable energy is the only way civilization can possibly decarbonize? And the second part to that question is, what is missing from that formulation or that question?
1: Um. The only way we can decarbonize well, you have to ask yourself: Is it possible to decarbonize energy systems? I mean, that's a question that's not permitted to be asked. Um, and what you see in the in the film is that um, all of these technologies do use carbon in their manufacture, um, and that they don't really free us from these other systems. So right now we have a situation where we have green energy systems, so-called green energy, and we have fossil fuel power plants uh, that are backing them up. Um, they're also building fast react. You know, people can look this up themselves. They're building fast reacting natural gas plants in order to support the intermittency of sun and wind. So, um, you know, but we're not the only ones, you know, it's like, we're, we're, interesting uh are you familiar with dr james hansen uh yes uh did you realize that he doesn't believe that uh renewables can uh uh get us off carbon and um
0: i did not know that no
1: yeah Well that's so that's interesting uh and he's a proponent of nuclear because he doesn't think new you know he's not saying don't build renewables he's just saying they're I was just listening to a quote from him where you get to 10 and 20, 30% people think it gets easier. He said it actually gets harder because of the intermittency. Um, So um, yeah, I, and it's fine if Josh has a different perception of the uh, science or of a different belief around this, that's fine. I'm uh, the, uh, you know, it's interesting for people to get so angry and uh, attempt to um, prevent us from even telling our story. You know, he put out the idea that um, our distributor had pulled the film. It was somebody we never even heard of, had nothing to do with. I think it was. Uh, and film... that lie got big traction.
0: Was Films for Action, I believe, is the name of the website. I think that yeah. he 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 petitioned for them to take the film down or
1: something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's just you know that's. That's unheard of, you know, It's a, and it's a shame. It's very disappointing. Um, but what was the last part of what, what he said that you quoted? Um,
0: oh, yeah, he says that, uh, he says, according to Planet of the Humans, renewables are actually worse than fossil fuels. And so I basically was asking, uh, you know, what is missing in that question or that formulation that he has there, which right. is, you know, that that's the only <laughs> way to decarbonize.
1: Yeah, what's, we'll miss, what's missing in that formulation, the reason... Uh, to us, it's worse than fossil fuels. Uh, and I'm not talking, if I had a cabin in the wood, I might get a solar panel. Um, you know, Rather than run a generator, I'm not going to pretend I'm saving the planet.
0: Right, Solar okay.
1: panel and batteries. But um, building out solar and wind arrays, we found, are not a replacement for the fossil fuel systems or the nuclear systems or the hydro systems. They're an additional burden to the planet. There are an additional thousands, hundreds of thousands, of square miles that we're planning on damaging, uh, and putting this technology across. Um, there are an additional millions and millions and billions of tons of, of mining, billions of tons of steel, um, aluminum, concrete, uh, rare earth metals. You know, have you seen the photos of the rare earth mining in China? No, oh, it's terrible. It's you know they were going to put a rare earth mine in Quebec ontario uh toyota for a while had a half interest in this mine um and uh they're in the middle of two first nations communities and in pristine waters you know um so especially when it seems that this is an additional round that's adding to our fossil fuel system which again it's rearranging the the the, uh chairs on the deck of the Titanic at best but at worst it's it's this quixotic quest for uh, more more energy and more technology um, if somebody can show you know in the film we were looking for where's a nation that's gotten rid of their nuclear coal gas oil um, that place I don't believe exists and So then you say to yourself, okay, we've got wind for this, but it's not liquid fuels. So how are we going to get liquid fuels? Well, um, hydrogen is one idea, but um, it has a lot of difficulties. But you wind up going back to biofuels. And then where are you going to get the biofuels? Well, you're going to take, you know, there's been schemes to turn our forests into biofuels. Um, The spread of biofuels in the U.S., you remember the big push for ethanol, and and there's some biodiesel in there. That land, that, that expansion helped to drain the ancient aquifers of the western U.S., helped take away uh, fallow and unused farmland where monarch butterflies, honeybees, and other things uh, were able to, um, to live. And it, around that time is when the monarchs start, started to disappear, um, when we turned so much more land into corn ethanol and, and other biofuels. And now the biofuels production the biofuel production area in the United States rivals all of the food production for humans. Not for animals, but the food that's directly grown for humans to consume. Right. So, again, I keep coming back to... um, And then the other thing wrong with that question is it assumes the whole thing's about decarbonizing the planet. Um, If you only think everything is a carbon throughput, uh, then you can it leads you to strange places. Then you can excuse all the mining. You can excuse all the destruction. Um, You know, nature doesn't, um, it's just as upset when land is poisoned, uh, by mining, which is one of the fastest rising forms of destruction on the planet. Um, when a forest is cut down for more biofuels or more mines or more growth, um, like we saw in the amazon last summer that was all because of greed it was because of expanded meat production food production crop production and biofuel production um so there's so nature doesn't care it's just as hurt by that as by the fires in the in australia so and eventually even if we didn't have any carbon if even if everything was true about solar and wind Without an off switch, that destruction of consumption, economic growth, and capitalism is still going to consume everything. Don't so I make any sense here?
0: Yeah, but, no, you make sense, and yeah. I think I think that's the issue: is that uh, you know, with these renewable technologies, they're they're basically doing something that I, I see all the time, which is reduce the broader ecological crisis on the planet to climate change and not just climate change but co2 emissions so if we can tackle the co2 emission problem then we're good we can walk away and that's that's the the main issue here but that to me just seems like a symptom of a deeper problem so these technologies that are being proposed that can supposedly get us off of fossil fuels they're still going to be in very they are very exploitive of the natural world and require more and more resources to continue to function uh, to continue to work at all you know and even if they just up the efficiency of solar panels to the nth degree it's still going to require a massive amounts of resource extraction and destruction of these natural resources and these places on the planet that i think we should hold as sacred and that that and that protecting those places and allowing them to exist on their own should supersede our desire to maintain a system that is comfortable but nonetheless destructive.
1: It's like a line I have in the movie where I suddenly realized, um, you know, after a conversation with a with a colleague, actually, and I was talking about the movie and I think he had seen some clips and uh, he said to me, yeah, the reason we're obsessed with climate change is it's all about us. You know, climate change is deadly to the planet, don't get me wrong, but it's a thing that, you know, it's, it's affecting our cities, it's affecting us because we're we don't leave this planet in any breathing room. We're everywhere. So this has to affect us. But it also leads to building these machines that are for what? It's not, you know, no, no forest wants to be cut down for biofuels. No desert says, hey, humans, come in here and, uh, you know, rearrange me or level me um, to, you know, for a solar farm. Um, so we really have confused what's, good for the planet with what's just meant to keep this machine going right Um,
0: right yeah I think I really appreciated that in the film where you discuss the building of these solar farms and how you know we tend to think of deserts as being these empty spaces that can be used for whatever but that's not the case at all Uh, when you talk about Joshua trees and you talk about the other life and ecosystems that exist in deserts and they're, they're not void of life at all. They're actually incredibly diverse biologically uh, and ecologically. And so, you know, there's no easy way out of this. There's no just, like, space that the earth has produced for us to do this type of thing. We have to engage in really destructive behavior to, to do this.
1: Yeah. If you look at the, um, the history of the last few decades, but really of humankind, but especially the last 50 years, you know all these things going up in terms of humans, especially um, you know our consumption, and especially those of us who are privileged to have a lot of consumption uh, compared to previous generations. You know, and and our expanding numbers. You know, those you know those two overlaid um, you know graph with this decline in nature, this steady decline everywhere. And uh, one thing I haven't gotten a chance to say is. Um, you know, if what we're saying in the film and I'm saying and Ozzy Center is saying is true, uh, we're not the fans of fossil fuels. That, that you know, we're actually... I think we're actually kept away from the only real way to reduce fossil fuel use, which is to reduce fossil fuel use <laughs> um, by this fantasy that we're going to have green technology and that green technology is replacing fossil fuels. Um you know, it's the fossil fuel use and the mining may be hidden in other countries with people we don't, you know, and, and occurring in places and to people we don't care as much about as we do our own backyards. But um, I always thought that was an interesting thing about the electric cars. It, it's cleaner where we're driving it, um, but the mining required that's just ferocious, you know, is occurring in places where we can't see it. And the, and the backup power plants, even if you th- use right now the sun's out here, um, but the backup power plants that are keeping this whole system intact. And then tonight when I actually plug in my car, they're actually charging it up. You know, those are out of sight and out of mind. So it's a way of, um, to me, it's a way of fooling ourselves. And we've been locked in a story that's led to increasing fossil fuel use. Um, the only thing I wish is, you know, the, um, I guess I'm surprised by the kind of viciousness of the attacks, the, uh, uh, just trying to get this conversation out there. Uh, and yet, you know, Josh Fox, I, you know, he did an amazing thing by waking us up about fracking and creating that movement. That, that's incredible. And uh, I really appreciate him for doing that. And, but I remember my disappointment. Um, I thought that, oh, there's an opportunity to help us understand um, that the way to use less natural gas and less fracking is to look at this whole economic system that we have. But the, that he himself got involved with um, the Solutions Project, which with investors and the idea that investments in green technology will save us. So uh, I don't know if that has anything to do him, anything to do with him criticizing us this strongly. But um, you know, let's have it out. Let let people look up all the you know information themselves and uh, and decide. Um, don't try and banish. You know, people don't like something. Uh, they're supposed to be banned from seeing it because it's too dangerous. I think people are smart enough to um, figure things out. Um, and I, I've been through this on a little smaller scale before. Um, I had to take a couple of years off to fight four biomass plants from coming to northern Michigan. And it was very um, instructive because even though many, we had one environmental group that helped us bring in a speaker. And we had one person from the Sierra Club uh, show up uh, off and on. But we really had to fight against um, local groups. Some of the local environmentalists that are, were more on the paid professional side of things were actually promoting this. And one of the leading environmentalists in the country um, somebody from the the uh, Apollo Alliance actually was hired as a consultant to sell the biomass plant uh, you see van Jones in the movie with a look on his face surprised you know that you know he was part of the Apollo Alliance in those days who actually bragged about bringing that huge biofuels uh, trees to biofuels plant in northern Michigan uh, so I went through this where you know um, you 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 know, university experts were brought in, people from the government were brought in, you know, the uh, the utility, you know, this is green. Um, Top environmentalists were saying this is green, this biomass, the tree burning power plant. And by the end, the last forum that the pro-biomass people put on here, um, I only spotted one person in favor of the biomass plan out of, I think there were maybe a hundred people there. And that was somebody with an interest in uh, logging. You know, maybe there are more, I didn't see it was completely invisible, but the people, what I heard from people is they went, and looked up biomass themselves. They didn't take my word for it. Uh, they, they looked into it and they made their own decisions and the community decided that they didn't want to do this.
0: Yeah, Well, I do want to talk about biomass because it is discussed and shown at length in the film. And I will actually bring up another one other criticism from that josh fox presents because i think there's a pretty big hole that i want to point to here in what he says which is uh he says for the record biomass currently contributes just 1.4 percent of u.s energy a small fraction of the amount of uh, from other renewable sources in the grand scheme of things as cornell scientist uh tony in grafia i think that's how you say that tony and grafia put it to me biomass is quote totally inconsequential end quote uh so the thing that the film talks about is biomass obviously you do explore a lot of things that are happening in the united states and building these biomass plants you show a, a map with all the different points on there showing where all these biomass plants are around the u.s but you make a very solid point in the film discussing the the um, renewable energy sources that Germany is using and you show a graph showing how much of their so-called renewable energy is really just coming from biomass which is essentially wood wood chips that are coming from the United States uh, I think you cite Brazil I think there's like I think it's Indonesia there's several other places that they're getting these biomass uh, getting their biomass from and it shows that the majority of the renewable energy that they're using comes from that so in Joss Fox's article when he points to the fact that it's only 1.4% of US uh, renewable energy is coming from biomass. He's actually ignoring <laughs> what you discuss about Germany in the film. I don't know if you right. wanted to respond to that.
1: Sure, w- without having the charts in front of me, um, yeah, it's th- the figures from Germany are government figures. They're not. They're not just things we've cherry picked. But um, I don't know where he's getting the one point four percent from. I, you know, one from. Biomass electric power plants. Um, if you actually look at the total amount of energy um, that we're referring to, it also includes waste energy plants. Um, it includes operations that are part of um, timber operations where they burn biomass. Um, there are, um, and and it, certainly with the Germany and the larger numbers, we as we mentioned in the film, when you especially when you include biofuels. Um, So often, what happens is you'll see a number of you'll see something referring to some countries' renewable energy uh, reached this level in this country. And what often doesn't happen is uh, that often includes biomass and hydroelectric. When hydroelectric, many environmentalists, perhaps even most, don't consider hydroelectric Uh, green. Hydroelectric, uh, you know, destroys and drowns. A lot of landscape, and um, there are methane emissions from the uh, the plant material that's buried under there, um, and certainly in the construction of dams. But uh, all these figures are very tricky um, if you just look at small little slices of them. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just a huge component. And when we were researching the movie, I was shocked. State after state, if you look at biomass and biofuels, there are just huge proportions of the the uh, energy portfolio and what they're trying to tell us is is that we're going to run the whole economy on renewable energy so you have to say to yourself electricity um even in a home it's only a part of the energy and here in northern michigan i think i use more energy to heat my home than for the electric bill and then in society it's a it's a um it's only a portion of the energy we use across, you know, the country. So it's, um, yeah, it's just I don't even know where that number comes from, actually. So
0: yeah, well, I I think, and again, he's just, just referencing U.S. Uh, renewable energy, and again, it just I think it ignores the global. One
1: point four percent of U.S. renewable energy is from biomass. That, yeah, that's yeah. what he's
0: pointing to. Yeah, it's like uh, I'll have to find the source here. Let me actually go there just to just to be clear. It's from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. Um, and uh, this is only in reference to what's going on in the United States. So I imagine like...
1: Well, let me, let me raise a larger point with that. Okay. So, uh, you know, in, in energy, the, the, the information that's in the film is all from, um, you know, government to, um, sources. Um, but part of the reason biomass is in the film isn't just the quantity of it... <sighs> It's just the very concept we're going to be burning trees and um, turning the prairies of this planet and what should be nature that's recovering in our abandoned farmland. Uh, and the last place, you know, the tall grass prairie, um, the great prairies of the, of the Midwest and western U.S., I think there's only a couple percent left. It's one of the most endangered habitats in the world. So the fact that we are willing to burn what's in my book what remains of nature in order to power our lifestyles and in the process emit more CO two uh, than fossil fuels it's just it kind of blew my mind when I realized what it was and the choice we were making. So for me, it's in the film as both because trees are a symbol of our salvation and our and our last hope, especially standing trees, large trees, not little saplings. Um, intact forests, uh, and the fact that we're sacrificing the last hope as fuel, as green fuel, just, um, I couldn't even get my head around that.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to say, I mean, even if it is 1.4%, the amount of, uh, the destruction of the forests are going to happen within that 1.4%. 1, 1. So even if it is just a fraction of the amount of energy produced that doesn't change the fact that the level of of exploitation and destruction of these last intact forests that's still going to happen even within that 1.4%. You know what I mean?
1: Right, it's it's and you know there... are Um, And, you know, it gets all tied into the idea that, you know, of sustainable forestry and sustainable, you know, and so all these sustainable building things get built into it. But here's the reality I discovered about the biomass they were going to put uh, somewhere near where I lived in northern Michigan. I mean, perhaps within blocks of my house, I discovered, but it was going to be a 10, uh, I think it was a 10 to 15 megawatt biomass plant. Um, Now, a fossil fuel power plant Baseload load power plant, 200, 600, up to 2,000 megawatts. This is 10. This 10-15 megawatt power plant, they would need to get wood from a 50-mile radius. Okay, well that sounds isn't enough. But what's 50? 50, a 50-mile 50 radius? What's, you know, pi r squared, right? So 50 times 50. I mean, we're doing the math here, but 250 times. Three point so that's like a thousand square, you know, getting towards a thousand square miles. I'm like, holy smokes, that's the size of wood catchment area they need for one biomass plant, one small one, and you would need dozens of these, many dozens, to replace, you know, one fossil fuel power plant. And then I discovered that they all, uh, most of the ones I investigated, still have natural gas being burned too, um, because so. You know, whatever the exact statistics it just started to seem like um, a uh, um, this, a sign that we've taken a really wrong turn yeah. in the environmental movement.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I want to bring up one last criticism that was made of the film. I just do want to do this just to clear it up because I, sure. I, I watched it and I – this particular point that they made uh, that, say, Josh Fox or others that I've read uh, criticizing the film, they say that – you and michael moore i guess by uh, by producing the film that you're advocating for population control in some form or another um and again when i wa- I watched the film a second time last night just to make sure you know i, I had everything in my mind but when population or um you know the-, the issue of overpopulation on the planet is raised in the film there's no mention of population control at all it's just Brought up, in fact, what was brought up? I feel feel like I'm answering the question for you. I apologize, but what I feel like what what was brought up was actually the fact that it's our uh, it's not only the amount of humans that we have on the planet, but it's the fact that we're consuming so much. It's it's tied to that more than anything else. So if you could respond to that, you know, our I, I guess maybe if I could put it into question is is your yeah. film anti-human as it's been framed by so many people that are criticizing it right now?
1: I made this film um primarily because i'm scared half to death that we're going to run into continued situations like this pandemic like superstorms like the fires uh like the like uh, ancient aquifers going dry because we've tapped them out that we're going to hit this this point from which we all fall down and we cannot recover and i used to say to myself That'll be a world in which the living envy the dead, if that's an uncontrolled collapse. And that's a world in which nothing will be left of nature, because on our way down, as we're showing now by our misguided attempts to go back to burning what remains of the planet to keep this going, we'll resort to anything rather than, than, you know, first to keep our lifestyles going, and then second after that, just to stay alive. Uh, And that will be the end of nature. Uh, there, so I made this film in the hopes that we might prevent that kind of horrific catastrophe uh, that we're already beginning to experience. You know, there are already desperate people, desperate people all around the planet. So, you n- notice correctly that population never comes up except in relationship to consumption and growth. And that's why, in that one chart in the middle of the film, we, you see our population rise, and then you see what kicks it into the, the stratosphere is our consumption. And I very carefully added in, especially in the first world, you know, I forget my exact words, but especially those of us in places like where we're living now who consume way more than everyone else. So um, the intent, I would never use the words population control. We didn't use them in the film. And I feel like the film's an inkblot test where people project. Uh, their own issues or anger sometimes into it. Where uh, we didn't say that, we d- we wouldn't say that, and we don't intend to say that. The uh, the first step, as we say in the closing narration, is to take back our env- environmental movement, deal with the suicide of endless growth on a finite planet, um, and you know find a way to take care of everyone. Yeah. And and I say that both by speaking for the humans that we. Morally should be taking care of everyone and thinking about the planet because people that don't have enough resources are are forced to go off into what're uh, r- r- into nature to meet their their needs so
0: right yeah well, and you know I will ask you know I think we're closing in on an hour i don't want to take too much of your time, and I really do thank you for for everything you've discussed so far um. So yeah, I just want to say, first of all, I didn't get the impression the film is anti-human at all. It it's just pointing to some really obvious issues. You know, we we've reached what's called overshoot, and that's not only in a biological sense of having a lot of people on the planet, but how we choose to live, how how we're living right now. And that's really what it's tied to more than anything. And I find it really like you said, it's it's this film is challenging a lot of people's maybe assumptions about these things um and it's creating some pretty vitriolic reactions from people uh you know like from unfortunately from Josh Fox as he points to in his article I was just really taken aback by what he was trying to to do with that that thing that you just discussed about overpopulation and turn it into something that it wasn't and I just find that really unfortunate because this is a time more than ever where we need to really be coming together and asking those deeper questions and I think when you and and Michael and everyone involved in the film are trying to do that. Um, yeah, it, you're doing, right, it, you're doing it in good faith. At, yeah.
1: Yeah. Every study you look at, like if you look up the UN report, you, you know before they go on to talk about sustainable development and green growth and that kind of thing, they, they started out by showing you, because of the doubling of our population, the four times increase in our consumption. Uh, you look at the WWF, State of the Planet report, uh, because of rising human numbers, rising economic growth um, has led to increased agriculture, increased mining, increased extraction, increased energy use, and increased climate change. So stating it's weird to be attacked for stating the obvious. I would never call them uh, population control advocates for merely putting out a report to stated a truism about the human situation we're in. Um, so, uh, you know... Um, So it's just, it's just so interesting. That's why I say it's like an ink ink test where people kind of project some of their own things.
0: So, you know, my, my, my final question for you, I mean, you, I, I really, I think your film is amazing. And the fact is that it's on YouTube right now. People can watch it for free. It was released on Earth Day. So I think people should go and watch it for themselves and, and, you know, read the criticisms, read what Josh Fox and others have had to say about it and kind of make up your own mind about this. Uh, You know, I think that that's really important. Um, But I'll just ask, you know, I mean, where do you go from here? I mean, what are, do you have any future projects that you're working on? Anything else that you're working on right now?
1: Um, Well, let me just say one more thing. Okay. I encourage people to go read the studies Josh is bringing up. I encourage you to read, uh, to learn. I encourage you to not uh, also just stay stuck in the energy debate, but I encourage everyone to just, we've got to, really, I wanted to make this film so we, we begin to study ourselves because we're who we are, how we've gotten into this mess, um, whether you believe it's capitalism and industrialism and growth um, you know, or whether you think there's some other reason but I wanted us to look at ourselves as in a, as a single species um, that's been captured by a story and um, but it's you know I wanted to raise some of these bigger deeper questions. Um, And so where I'd like to go is to, to, you know, continue to respond and deal with the energy debate, but to move, really, I'd like to see, um, I don't know if we know how to do, I don't know if degrowth is the right word or steady state economy, I don't know what the right, I can't decide what the right approach to this is. I just hope to trigger from here on out a discussion of how would we have a sustainable human presence um, on this planet, because we haven't figured that out yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I, and I think it also just means stepping outside of, uh, the dominant culture, you know, and, and looking cause I think there are, um, you know, the people that that have been the most impacted by this process have been, um, largely indigenous people. And I mean, they've been able to live sustainably in the regions that they exist for, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years until, you know, colonization and exactly. other processes. I'd like
1: those discussions with you and to ask why, you know, just here's one question. Why is it that the megafauna, until recently, with the expansion of industrialism and capitalism uh, and uh, this current system, but, you know, the, the, the ancient megafauna persisted in Africa from the time of the origins of humans. Wow. What worked there? What worked with the woodland, you know, Indians of um, North America that were sustainable Uh, and, you know, for thousands of years, maybe tens of thousands of years, you know, so, um, we need to ask a different set of questions. Are, you know, what is, is there any version of a sustainable industrial civilization? I don't know. We haven't invented one yet. Um, so I, I think this looks a lot like getting into a different story to save ourselves. And that really is the ultimate goal. And that's where I'd like to go from here, uh, is to begin to talk about what, what's the story that we need to be in as humans.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you and I support you in that. And um uh Jeff, but I please
1: read everybody's works, read read all the studies, read their studies. Yes. Let's just have a civil discussion about this and uh yeah. You know move forward.
0: Yeah, and, and and also have uh you know uh to not characterize things that were said in the film uh dishonestly or disingenuously because I feel like that's happening right now unfortunately. Uh, so I would just ask people that are listening, if you do not like the film, don't misrepresent what's presented in it just to suit your own aims. I mean, it's just basic human decency, <laughs> but yeah, you know, you. I would, I would, I just have to say, you know, I, I, I stand in solidarity with you, Jeff. I think you and Michael and everyone involved in the film, you know, you, you took a risk, I think, by putting this out there. Um, and I am really happy to see the conversations that have started because of it. So I think it has been successful in that way. Uh, pushing up against, you know, the story that, you, that you've that you pointed to here uh, with renewable energy saving us, which of course, is a, it is a story. It's not necessarily based in reality. Um, so I, I would just say, you know, there's of course the website planetofthehumans.com. People can watch it there and learn more about the film there. It's also on YouTube. Uh, there'll be a link to that uh, in the description of this episode, and it's on that website as well. Are there any other resources that you would like to point people towards regarding this film?
1: Um, just, you know, I just want to encourage people to do their own research. You know, we go to planetofthehumans.com. We have our things posted, but we're just a few people. Um, you know, just, I think this is a learning time for all of us. Um, and so, um, I think continue to have the discussions and hopefully we'll talk again someday about, um, you know, what can we learn from, uh, different cultures about, um, you know, if not how to, perhaps how to live, but also more importantly, what kind of stories we need to be, um, considering. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would love to to continue the conversation and it's great to to get to know you a bit more and so uh Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me.
1: Thanks Patrick for listening so well and uh for being willing to uh, to give us a chance.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: So. <laughs>
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Last Born in the Wilderness. If you would like to support this project monetarily, here are a few options. You can send a one-time donation through PayPal. Go to paypal.me lastbornpodcast, and you can treat that like a bit of a tip jar. If you like this episode, or any other episode of this podcast in particular, consider throwing a few bucks Patrick's way. That would really be helpful. And if you would really like to sustain this work and support this project more regularly, consider supporting this project through Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Wilderness and donate to the production of this podcast for $1 or more a month. And by doing that, you'll gain early access to these interviews and discussions before the official public release. And you will also gain access to some exclusive content there as well. As the great psychedelic bard Terrence McKenna said, take it easy dude but take it